Hello and welcome to the Fizzle Show. <laughs> Thanks, Bonnie. This is the Fizzle Show. Actionable, articulate, and entertaining conversations about running a business in the modern world. Every Friday, we publish another conversation about entrepreneurship, building a thriving audience, and the battle of supporting yourself doing something that you care about. Your hosts are, uh, if we were characters from True Blood, Barrett would be Eric, dark, brooding, and sexy. Corbett would be Bill, full of wisdom and humanity. And Chase, that's me, would be Lafayette, wildly OTT, but with the best lines in the house. That one comes to us from Harriet Morris. Thanks, Harriet. I wish I have seen an episode of True Blood. Actually, I have seen one of those vampire uh, S-E-X scenes. <laughs> that sounds just a little bit crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. In this episode, listener of the show, Bonnie Lynch, asks a question that took us where I didn't really expect it to go. Uh, as Corbett Barrett and I started responding to her question, it, which is a super funny question, it's as funny as it is important. We traveled into conversations about choosing a better niche. Niche, or niche, or niche. Niche, niche. Niche advice grows like trees on the internet. If you've uh, been on any of the business world sites, you've seen, uh, hey, pick a niche, pick a niche, pick a niche, pick a niche. And we're no strangers to that. We talk about it as well. In fact, our we have this great, you know, choosing a target market guide. That is, that is simply another method for choosing your niche, a sort of people-first method that I prefer. Links to that in the show notes. But Bonnie's question in this episode gets us into a situation that I think many of us have found ourselves in and add some real human light to that moment where we're forced to kind of make a decision. I share my own moment of discovery in this episode. So, uh, oh, also, uh, special news at the end of the show about our upcoming 100th episodes. Get in on it. Follow along at fizzleshow.co slash 97. I'll be back after this conversation to fill in any gaps, so let's get into it. Hi, guys. Fizzler Bonnie Lynch here from drbonnielynch.com in beautiful Portland, Oregon. I recently started a psychology-related business that has two distinct arms. One serves people who have chronic anxiety. For those people, I created a course to help them learn to understand and overcome their anxiety. The other arm serves people who are really my peers. They're professionals in psychology, and they need to earn continuing education credits. So for them, I create courses on all different topics in psychology. I do both of these things under the drbonnielynch.com brand, and that's where my question comes in. I really want to be the nurturing, calm, compassionate teacher voice for the anxious people I serve, and that comes naturally to me. It feels really good and genuine. Just a second, honey. But there's another equally genuine, equally natural voice in me that's a little bit more like third grade class clown. I'll be right there. So my question is, if I have one brand, do I have to stick to just one voice? Or is there a way that I can incorporate both of those voices? Jimmy fell off the roof! For sake, I gotta go. Okay, hold on. (laughs) Wait, she was pulling her leg the whole time? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that great? (laughs) 
<laughs> at first, like she handled it with such a plum that I yeah, thought for sure that. that, wow, she is really good. She is as calm and nurturing as she said. Yeah. <laughs> and then the second time around, I'm like, okay, wait a second. God, it was perfect. I loved it. I laughed so hard the first time I heard it too because of the that same feeling. That was a good little kid voice. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I don't think that was her kid voice. That was her kid. Oh, that was, so it was real. <laughs> yeah, it was her kid. But they, I think it was staged, right, Bonnie? Let us know in the comments. You have to let us know. I'm completely confused. Uh, oh, man. So I think it was, me it was for awesome. Sure. She worked with her daughter, I think, to, uh, to, to, to like, do a skit for us while asking a question. Oh, I thought maybe... fell off the roof, though. Yeah. Yeah. And I, <laughs> Listen, if somebody really fell off the roof, then... then and maybe maybe we should be more compassionate but i thought for sure i think for sure this is a joke and it was hilarious uh uh but Isn't it the question interesting that people who work in therapy seem to be so good at mind people <laughs> <laughs> like i am totally messed up right now i'm i don't know what just happened <laughs> yeah them and alice cooper <laughs> right um so I loved I loved Bonnie's question. I thought it was a fascinating one. Uh, the the question being essentially like I have two voices and and in some ways two audiences on the same site. Right? Is that how you you guys are hearing it? Yeah, I think uh, two audiences and two different voices, and she's confused about how to put them together. And I mean, mm-hmm. there's no question about like just in the in the way that she put together the question. Obviously, she's got this cl- class clownness and i love the way that i really bonnie i have i cannot celebrate you uh highly enough i cannot i want to make you like a hundred birthday cakes just because this was such a funny thing to get um and birthday cakes are the only thing i know how to celebrate people by so uh i think what this question you know the very first two episodes of the fizzle show are about how do i find my voice and those are some of our most listened to episodes they're um uh because they're at the very beginning and they're, they're just great they're the first time we really kind of got used to like being on the mics with, with one another and we get into a bunch of great stuff because this concept, this question of like finding your voice to me is still like you, you, I remember that I'll never forget when you're like, this is kind of like the biggest question uh, of all, of all time for us creators. Right. And I was like, really, really? I on the, on the episodes, I'm actually like, really, you think that? And yeah. by the end of it, I was just like, Oh yeah, because now I know what you mean when finding, voice. Oh yeah, that's the biggest thing we could possibly try to figure out. It's a lot like being ourselves. <laughs> You know what I mean? Totally. Trying to figure out who I am. I on in this instance though, I think we have two different questions. I think we have a can I serve both of these audiences at the same time question and um how how do I form my voice to take advantage of these two sides that I have at the same time? Yeah, I think you're you're exactly right. So tell us how, Corbett. Well, let's tackle the audience question first because to me, that's the bigger elephant in the room. I, I think in terms of the voice question, we'll have a, a fairly simple answer for that. Um, in terms of the audience question, though, I'm concerned that she's trying to serve very different groups. Um, one are essentially um, patients, you know, people who need help uh, working through anxiety. And the other, as I heard it, were um, therapists themselves, it sounded like, people who uh, need to take continuing education. And uh, so they're her peers, really. Mm-hmm. And um, to me, serving both of those groups through one site seems like a, uh, like a tricky situation. Mm. Um, because if, if I'm somebody looking for help with my anxiety and I come to a site and I immediately stumble upon some sort of post that's talking about how to take my you know level 102 uh, continuing education credits so that I can further my 
psychotherapy business, I'm totally confused and this doesn't seem like the right place for me. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And you know, it reminds me of Josh Ship uh, in his founder stories t- talks about uh, the difference between like the 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 kids he's a he's a youth speaker and so he's speaking to kids that's his audience but yep. he's selling to you know either the kids parents or more specifically the people who uh who pull in speakers for these schools you know well, administrators and, and, and stuff and even more than that if you think about Josh he has one business which is speaking to kids and selling the people who can put him in front of kids that's really one business there his other business is teaching people how to become speakers yeah, yeah. and he doesn't pitch those two necessarily at the exact same time right i mean he has this entire arm called youth speaker university and i'm sure that there's you know you can get to those things from his main site mm-hmm. um but it's difficult to weave that content in all at the same time right yep that's right Barrett, what are you hearing over there? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that trying to serve those two very different audiences on the same exact site is going to be super difficult. I don't know the best way to take care of that, but the number one would probably be just to create a second site or even a second blog that, I I don't know, doing them both on the same site scares me because there's not a clear way to differentiate between the two that helps segment your customers even Nathan Barry, who does both marketing and design, which plausibly the same people could be interested in, he's tried to find good ways to segment those two audiences, and I don't even know if he's been able to over time. Yeah, Nathan's an interesting example. So, what do you what, explain more about his situation? How he's kind of targeting two audiences? So he's tried a couple of different methods where he put like a switch on his homepage where you could like flip it to marketing or design, and then it would display either marketing or design articles right mm-hmm. there up front. Um, he also has, I think he has buttons now that says like, are you interested in marketing? Are you interested in design? And it takes you to maybe a category page of posts. So he tackled it that way. I'm not sure what kind of results he's gotten from those, but I know he's, he's being drawn more back towards the design oriented content because that's what really helped him to build the business to begin with. And in some ways, we battle with the same sort of question. How often are we thinking about, so are we building Fizzle for beginners or for like advanced people or intermediate intermediate people? Because those, like you imagine you, you sign up for Fizzle, it's this, you know, library of training courses for everything from how to grow your email list to, to, you know, how to come up with your idea for your business to how to, you know, understand and tackle these different comparing PayPal versus uh, all the other sort of ways to get money online. And people are in are, are all in different places in their journey. So how do we create an experience that's going to that's going to attract uh not only attract the all, all people from all places on this journey but then also feel like okay, I know what to do now once they've signed up even if if you're a total beginner or a total advanced uh person. Right. But you know? but um in this case there's not a continuum that goes from having anxiety to being a therapist. Yeah, well, I, I mean, uh, ostensibly, ostensibly right. I mean, I mean, you did say a... that therapists are like the most, at, like, the best at like sort of mind screwing us, um, and and maybe maybe most anxious, <laughs> maybe most therapists started as anxious people. Maybe that is just a continuum. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it is. No, so, but I, I do think that you you got to figure out where are most of your customers coming from. Are they coming from people with anxiety? or Are they coming from therapists? And kind of trying to decide which one should you build out first or which one should you really target and focus on building a sustainable business around. And then maybe later you can add another site or something to target the other group. But I think it's going to be super hard to build a business that serves both of these and does it well. Like I pulled up uh, 
Bonnie's course on Udemy for uh, releasing the grip of anxiety. And I see that, I don't know how many people have bought it, but I see that it's got one review here. Hmm. So I can imagine that if you were only focusing on people with anxiety, then you'd likely be able to do a better job of selling more of the courses, getting more reviews for it, building more social proof, and really drilling down on that particular audience. But if you're trying to serve both of these, it's going to be hard to probably even notice that you only have one review, let alone try and figure out how to get more. So, yeah, so I I guess the question is, what should she do? Um, And and let's tackle the voice question as well. But in terms of the just the sites, well, I like this question of the of the two different audiences, because I think it's really I think it's really common. I think it's really, really common. It's all we always we know how difficult it is to choose a quote unquote niche or niche or niche, please. You know, it's and yet that's the advice that everybody out there is giving because it really is an unfair advantage when you're starting super small rather than trying to be Google, right? Well, uh, and you because just, you, you can't solve all the problems for all the people, you know. Exactly, exactly, and but also for all those marketing, you know, issues. If I'm the only person who does X in this region and I'm marketing heavily in that region, then. There's more of a chance of me getting found there than being like one of a hundred thousand people who are talking about this bigger issue. Uh, it's it, it can be really difficult to be found there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, but I also so we we know that it, we're always telling people to do that. Every every guru is saying the same thing about that because it's a great it's a great way to get started. And all of us grow out of that and into a bigger niche because we all feel so limited by those little things most of the time because we're this big three-dimensional person with all these interests and desires you know bonnie ha- is a therapist and and loves talking to her peers and and has things to share with them and she does uh, have this this affinity for the people who are actually suffering with the anxiety the, the, the sort of stereotypical uh customer in this in this model i guess right yeah so i think it's really common to be on both sides of this so do you guys know of anybody who's doing this really well i I, is what i'm wondering i'm trying to think myself and and like i said josh ship comes to mind i mean i think uh, so if we think about someone like uh paul graham or somebody who runs a startup accelerator obviously their main customers are um you know people who are trying to get their businesses off the ground on the other hand, you know, Paul also interacts with a lot of his peers and he's maybe helping some of them in some cases. But it's not as if he has some website set up for his peers. You know, hey, let me show you how to start up an accelerator. Although he could, but what happens is his peers end up finding him through the quality of the work that he's doing with his clients. Um, and the same could be true uh, for Bonnie. If, if Bonnie ends up being, becoming known as one of the best people, um, at solving anxiety for clients, then obviously uh, her peers are going to want to learn from her. I don't know if that's the exact business that she has right now. It sounds like it's more straightforward, like you need continuing education credits and maybe she is accredited and can offer those courses or something. Um, or, or maybe they don't have to be accredited. So that, that's one example. I, I think that all of us end up, you know, whatever business we're in, we end up having peers that we interact with, um, but in a less formal sort of way. Not to say that it's you know not correct for you to do that. I'm just really stuck on this idea of if I have anxiety and I come to your site, I don't give one iota of a care about the world that therapists live in and what they need to do from a professional standpoint. And so it just seems very clear to me that she needs a secondary brand um, or Bonnie Lynch could be the anxiety brand and she could have a second brand for the continuing education Bonnie Lynch could be the uh, sort of umbrella brand and she could have sub brands for both of these businesses. Um, or 
uh, you know, there should be an anxiety brand. And then Bonnie Lynch could be the brand that um, handles the continuing education stuff. Yeah, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating problem because I, I mean, how many, I don't know if you guys remember hitting this, this sort of question as hard as I, I have throughout my history. But like, I remember like having a site that was a general sort of Chase Reeves site and then realizing pretty early on, like, oh, okay. So people aren't interested in me. Nobody buys Chase. They buy, I'm trying to become a better dad, or I'm trying to uh, to get better at design, or I'm trying to build a company. Or they're, they're buying something that interests them. They typically aren't buying, unless, until you're at that, until you're Louis C.K. or Jerry Seinfeld, or, uh, you know, these people that, that we put on pedestals. And we're like, okay, I'll buy, I'll, I'll go check out this movie because, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of like a celebrity's name and all I can come up with Bonnie Raitt <laughs> so, because Bonnie Raitt's in it. <laughs> I don't think I've seen her in a movie before. I don't know. I'm a big fan of Bonnie Raitt. You don't know you really know how to make a count like a Bonnie does. Um, just really... <laughs> Where like you want to talk about the subconscious? Like where the I haven't even heard that name in a million years. Let alone I don't know if I've even listened to any songs. Yeah, but uh, but I mean I remember when I switched from you know doing my own little like generic thing to going like okay I'm going to start Father Apprentice because this is going to appeal to a niche a a a group of people that have a a specific goal rather than a, a. and and to be fair, like even my my current sort of like you know the place where I keep quotes ice to the brim my quote unquote personal blog, it's it, it's I there are there is a niche there but I'm not saying it I don't know what it is <laughs> you know because I'm interested in certain kinds of things but it shifts over time so a- anyways I'm just saying saying that I really resonate with this question because I can imagine being in Bonnie's shoes and it being very difficult to choose like I, I think it would be great if we if we had that sort of like you know yeah I'm the Terminator kind of sense of like this is the right move for <laughs> wow that was bad <laughs> hold on let me try to find my Arnold. Dylan, you son of a bitch. Dylan! 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 There's this great um, <laughs> uh, Pete Holmes bit on YouTube where they have this this uh, ac- accent gone or something like that, and it, he's like he's just doing like a green screen. He's saying like, "Hi, I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger. I've been using accent gone, and it, <laughs> and it slowly comes in over time." Sorry, Pete, you did that again. Can you want to start? What? What? I did what? Oh, yeah, I'll just start again. That's fine. It's not easy. It's not difficult. I'll just... Hi, I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger, here on behalf of Axagon, and I think that you should try Axagon. <laughs> it's so good. I'll put a link to it in the old show notes. But I mean, wow. thinking about your story, Corbett, did you remember moving from CorbettBar.com to uh, like Free Pursuits or Think Traffic Adventure? Was that like a big deal for you? Yeah. So, well, it was kind of the other way around. I had a blog called Free Pursuits, which was sort of my <laughs> personal chronicles. Uh, mm-hmm. of of traveling and changing careers and so on. And um, I did the same thing that you did. I realized that it was really hard to build uh, a product that anyone was going to buy if I wasn't solving some very specific problem. And so I started Think Traffic um, to help out with that big question of, you know, how do some sites grow massive audiences? And immediately I got huge traction from Think Traffic like I had never seen before. Um, and I think many people have the same story. You know, it's, it's yeah. like you with Father Prentice. It's like, ah, okay, I get it now. Um, <laughs> I try to help people with something specific and they're interested in it like right away yeah. because they have a problem and you hit a hot button for them. 
And it's not to say that Bonnie isn't doing that right now. She may be doing that to some degree with anxiety. But if you package everything up, you know, if all the cues are pointing towards this is the site that mm. will solve your anxiety problems from the branding to the design to the content um, and everything in between and just get everything else out of the way, you're going to be doing yourself a huge favor because mm. it's just going to take off so much faster than if it's um, unclear as to what you do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's, let's, uh, I mean, so I guess in, in a solving this and quote unquote solving it, I'm working with a therapist right now. She's like, it's interesting to me how fast you sort of look for solutions. <laughs> so it's like, let's solve this. Um, but it seems like, like Bonnie has a decision to make. Like what we're saying is, and we don't know everything about Bonnie's, Bonnie's situation, but yeah, if you have these two, two, uh, audiences that you're serving from the same site and you yourself are aware of it, um, that might require a, a decision to be made, either for choosing one of these or, you know, um, like one of the things that I'm really starting to get interested in is is using something like Medium or YouTube or Tumblr, I guess less, less so Tumblr or Instagram as a channel in and of itself, not as a, not a, not as a means to get more, more people from there to my site, which is all we've currently used those sort of things as. You know, hey, put on a YouTube video and hopefully a bunch of people on YouTube find it and then realize there's this whole site full of great stuff over here where you're instead really optimizing for like subscribe to me on YouTube and stay in relationship with me on YouTube, you know, and eventually maybe there's a guide that I mentioned that you can get from the YouTube. So the idea being like in Medium, maybe there's a better chance uh, on, a, on, a, uh, on a medium like medium.com that that more therapists will find your work and interact with it there. And that could be a nice little outlet for the, for keeping that sort of iron sharp. You know what I mean? Talking to your, to your, uh, to, to that audience versus creating a whole other website and, and, and having a whole other strategy or just having, you know, uh, you, you could have like ang- anxious anxiety, a- a- Annie.biz. And that's where all the anxiety stuff goes. And then Bonnie Lynch is just you as a professional talking to other professionals or, or vice versa. Right. But the idea being you still have stuff to write on maybe the other one that you choose that you, that, so, for instance, for me, I would choose talking about anxiety, finding potential customers through uh, writing content. Right? That's what I, that's what I would choose because I'm not I'm not going to get paid to coach uh, unless I'm building a coaching business for therapists. Right? So, for me myself, I would choose that, but I might still have a lot to give and want to write for those other therapists talking to my professional peers. Then it's like, okay, I would probably end up doing that on Medium. Now, that's not advice to you, Bonnie. This is just thinking what I would do if I was in your situation. Then I'm a weirdo, so don't take my word for it. Um, yeah, I mean, another possibility is, let's say she has a course for uh, therapists, like a training course for therapists to learn new uh, methods for dealing with anxiety in their clients or whatever. Well, she could also use something like a guest posting strategy, posting for sites that do target uh, other professionals in her industry, her peer level people, and then use her byline to point people to her course on Udemy or on a hidden landing page on her site that's existing already. And so now instead of writing for both audiences on her site and selling courses to both audiences on her site, she's got both of them there, but one of them is essentially hidden and you can only find it if you come to her site because you've read her stuff on a professional training site or on a therapist site or whatever. Yeah. Now there is, um, of course not to muddy the waters, but there, there are situations where talking to, um, professional talking to other professionals could work 
for both audiences. Mm. If she wrote articles about where, you know, for example, where most therapists fail in treating clients for anxiety or treating patients for anxiety or whatever. And in that case, I think she's talking to both and she might get, you know, agreement from her new customers that, oh yeah, that is the experience I had with my previous therapist and that's why it didn't work for me. And mm. in that case, she might be influencing therapists. She might be turning them off as well. It's hard to say. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there is a little bit of commentary that could work for both, I think. But again, if it's just, you know, here's, you know, here's how to earn your continuing education credits if you're um, a peer, then it's pretty tough to blend those. So let's talk about the uh, the voices question. Like I have these two different voices, one uh, calm for her anxious client and one more class clowny. Um, where she kind of like, and I know what that's like, having something, something that you feel like you, you, we want it to live out there. It feels like connection to be yourself out there, uh, putting yourself out there and for people to, to respond to it, hopefully in a positive way. And hopefully you're not like me where most of the response is negative, uh, you know, because I'm just over here just ruining everything according to most of the people who listen to our podcast and send us emails. You're ruining it, Chase! <laughs> Exactly. Um, but I guess in some ways, this question of which voice is kind of solved by choosing one of these audiences. Am I right? I don't think so. Okay, so tell me more. Well, I think uh, there is no right answer on the voice question. I think on the audience question, there is a right answer, and that is that you can't serve both of those at once. On the voice question, I think that she could go either way in either case, um, or a blend of the two. Think about us, for example. We made a bet that business is usually boring and we decided to um, whip up this feature of our product called Chase Reeves and <laughs> unleash him on the world. You know, I'm going to try to make it fun and stuff. You know, everybody's not make try to make sense. We were like, what if we didn't make sense? And then that's what happened with putting me in a blender with a little bit of caffeine, sometimes a little bit of bayou sauce. Exactly. And every once in a while, what was that, a couple of alligators. Oh. Exactly. Bayou sauce. <laughs> and and it, it works for us. You know, it's... um. It is well, a, a really strong differentiator for us. And I can imagine in the world of trying to treat anxiety, it's like everybody's walking on eggshells, trying to make sure that everybody's calm, nothing is <laughs> here. Um, and and it, you know, it could be that some people would respond better to, to some lightheartedness. You know? I mean, God, why does everything have to be so serious all the time? And if I have anxiety already, by being so serious all the time, maybe it just makes things worse. I don't know. I'm not a therapist, but I'm just guessing. Um, it could be something worth trying for her to blend some of that class clown fun in with her anxiety patients. Mm -hmm. um, with the professionals, I think you could go either way on that as well. Some professionals are going to feel like the same thing. They're going to feel like, man, why is everything so serious in the world of therapy? Why can't we have a little fun? Or it could right. be the opposite. I don't know. I'm not in therapist circles, but it could be like everybody's a jokester because they have to let off a lot of steam and maybe she should be a little bit more serious. Um, so I think you could go either way or you could go down the middle and, and blend the two. And that's kind of what we try to do. Um, in between the fun, we try to <laughs> add a little tidbit or two of wisdom and hopefully the two <laughs> makes the magic for us. I definitely agree with you. I think yeah. that the voice thing can apply to either audience that she chooses. And I can imagine people with anxiety appreciating a little lightheartedness. I can imagine therapists saying, yeah, like, please just joke around a little bit. We wallow in these mental disorders and diseases and things. And it's nice to have a little lightheartedness after all of that hard work with our patients or whatever. Uh, and likewise, I can imagine either type of audience appreciating seriousness because, you know, sometimes mental disorders aren't funny things. So it really depends on who you want to attract and how you want to interact. And 
and what's authentic to you at the end of the day. Yeah. So to me, voice stuff is the, uh, I mean, when, the first answer that comes to my head is like, Bonnie, these people are going to respond not to, um, they're going to respond to to you, your point of view and your way of talking. And um, I, someone recently wrote in, an email is like, how do I get better as a writer? And, and all I could say was, like, well, okay, if you want to be a serious writer person, like go read a lot of great writing and then write a lot. And in the meantime, just like write like you would talk, you know? And because I think that's, that's as challenging as that can be is to like, well, how do I talk? In some ways, there's like, there's like a hack to being able to do that. And that means like balancing your chemicals, whether it's like, you know, a shot of espresso and a beer. Like to me, those are, those work great because the beer lowers my inhibitions and the espresso makes me excited. You know, that's like an awesome, and I'm not talking about like, you know, an IPA. I'm talking about like a Coors Light. Like I'm, I'm talking about a red collar American beer. <laughs> is this you know, your, is this your prescription? Your professional this prescription? Is a banquet. Yeah. If you want to find your voice, just take a shot of espresso, good espresso. I'm not talking about like, you know, something you'd find at Starbucks or something like that. Like someone who's like at least at least a little bit better than what you can find at Starbucks because it just doesn't have the right chemical proportions there. Um, not even to mention the taste. But then a beer, because literally you are more creative when, when you when you have some beer in your system um, and finding the right amount to, to where you don't get woo woo or whatever. But listen, that that's kind of a silly little joke. But it also <laughs> don't don't think that I haven't uh, resorted to that often when I'm writing. The challenge, I think, with finding your voice, first and foremost, is this confidence about, like, nobody's going to listen to me if I talk like this. Or, um, I don't know, it's, it's a, it's a, there's, there's, there's a real balance here between how do I need to talk in order to get successful, whatever that means to you, and the opposite side of that coin is, how do I need to talk in order to just continue to do this work? Because when you're writing all the time and you're not yourself and you're trying to be somebody and you don't even realize you're trying to be somebody, you will stop doing that work. That will not be that will not be a thing you stick with. And that's why this is such a, a push button issue for me. Uh, I found three great quotes over the past five years on finding your voice. Can I read these to you guys? Yeah, please. I'm going to. I'm going to do that. So the first one's from Billy Collins, and this one's a little esoteric, but I love it. Um, it gets into what we were talking uh, about, I think, in the last issue. Uh, the last issue, last episode, um, where I was talking about like, uh, you kind of play, uh, a character or a role. You turn your, your, your real life, um, nonfiction sort of making decisions on your business into a little bit more of like a fiction. Like, what would Stephen Colbert do? You know, what would his character do? Right. Billy Collins kind of, I think this was the first place I sort of, I, I heard that or started thinking about that. And here's what he said. He, Billy Collins is a, an amazing American poet, one of my favorite poets ever. Um, and, uh, Here's what he says about finding your voice. He's an old dude, uh, and he's been doing this for a while. He says, you find your voice, uh, quote, when you are able to invest or invent this one character who resembles you, obviously, and probably is, is more like you than anyone else on earth, but is not the equivalent of you. Okay, It is like a fictional character in that it is a very distinctive voice, a voice that seems to be able to accommodate and express an attitude that you are comfortable staying with, but an attitude that is flexible enough to cover a number of situations. For example, the character I invented, if I had to describe him, is probably an updating of a character you find strolling through the pages of English romantic poetry. He's a daydreamer, obviously unemployed, plenty of time on his hands, spends a lot of time by himself, and has an unhealthy fascination with his thinking process, his own speculations and fantasies. So he's not really a new character. He's kind of a remodeling of this earlier romantic character, the poet who would find himself daydreaming in a wayside bench somewhere. So that, that's the end of that, that quote. What's fascinating to, the, to me about this is here's one of America's greatest living poets. Um, and 
I, I don't know. I cause you, you know, it's so easy to always associate the creative works uh, of, of art with like someone saying something that's just erupting straight from their soul. You know what I mean? Like this just, it just dropped right out of me. It was just so easy. It's just who I am. Right. You know, that's who it is. When really uh, I find that for myself, this, this hack of like, okay, uh, what would, how would Bob Goff put this? Well, first of all, you'd have like a bunch of colorful balloons and, you, and your, your brain starts doing something else because it's creating with pre-existing material rather than trying to create something ex nihilo from nothing. So that's something to think about. I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, this one from Stephen Pressfield on what the 10,000 hours gets you. Remember that 10,000 hours rule uh, from Malcolm Gladwell? This is Stephen's quote. The rule says that in order for an individual to master any complex skill be it brain surgery or playing the cello, she must put in 10,000 hours of focused practice. But what exactly are we learning when we're beating our brains out all those years? What these masters were learning was to speak in their own voice. They were learning to act as themselves. And in my opinion, this is the hardest thing in the world. Um, Stephen Pressfield, writer, uh, he's written a bunch of books, but most of us know him for The War of Art, which was, you know, sort of like the the, the daily devotional of the independent entrepreneur. <laughs> Somehow it became that because it's phenomenal. It's really great. And this idea of the hardest, he's, he says the hardest thing to do is to speak in your own voice. Um, and I, I, you know, when I get on stage, uh, when I spoke at Pioneer Nation or at the Converge Summit or even at NMX or things like this, a lot of times people will come, there'll be a few, at least once or one, one or two people who comes up after and says like, how do you just, how do you just be, how do you just be like you up there? How do you be so you? Um, and it, I, I, I resonate with that. I, I, I can kind of feel myself being me up there and I'm half the time going like, how is this happening? How am I like confident enough to do this? Because I'm like a shy, insecure, scared person who really wants people to love him. So this, this idea of speaking in your own voice, I haven't nailed it, but it's really, really powerful when you're kind of not playing by other people's rules. And I, I don't know. I, I only say that to, as a, as a way of, of saying like, this is possible. It's doable. Uh, and something about it is, like when we, we talk about finding your voice is really difficult only because there's so much we feel and we're afraid of so much opposition out there of people calling bull on what we're, what we're doing or, or how we're doing it or something like that. And we don't really need to be afraid of that so much. Maybe in some ways that's like the trick. And then this one last quote from Bill Murray, one of the best ever of all time. He says, the only reason uh, I've had the career life that, that I've had is that someone told me some secrets early on about living. You can do the very best you can when you're very, very relaxed. No matter what it is or what your job is, the more relaxed you are, the better you are. That's sort of why I got into acting. I realized that the more fun I had, the better I did it. And I thought, hey, that's a job I could be proud of. It's changed my life learning that, and it's made me better at what I do. Oh, Mrs. Green. I <laughs> uh, wish I had that like that line from Caddyshack like totally licked, like when he's, when he's washing the ball and, and she's putting. <laughs> oh, God. Apparently, Corbett Cor- and Barrett are rusty on Caddyshack. We're kind of rusty. Yeah. Uh, except That's for the baby. It's a group watch movie. Yeah, that, that is a group watch movie. That and Birdman. Uh, everybody, you, we, we're seeing the tweets. We know you want to talk about Birdman, and I want to also, but we need more people to see it. When you've seen Birdman, you tweet us and let us know. So I'm sorry, that's like a little soliloquy of mine about these three great, great quotes on finding your voice, just for Bonnie and, and anybody else thinking about, like, what, is it, what does this mean? Things to add to our original first two conversations.
conversations about finding uh, your voice. Um, but ultimately, as I hear in her question, you know, I have this part of me and I have that part of me. Uh, really, I, I think it's fascinating that we started the conversation in answering her question about well, you, it sounds like you have actually two audiences first, because a lot of our voice is kind of, don't you, wouldn't you say it's kind of determined by who you're talking to? Like, I don't talk to my grandpa the way that I talk to uh, my son. That's true. Of course. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, a, the lot audience, of that, a lot of that changes. The audience matters. The audience matters a ton. And the audience, maybe part of it is, is when you find an audience that you feel it's much easier to be yourself in front of. You know, I bet I wouldn't be surprised if Bonnie feels much more, uh, herself in front of her peers or or vice versa like you, where you feel like you kind of have to put on this air of of you know a know-it-allness in order to talk to a therapist or something but i think that's a really big deal so i'll kind of i'll stop ranting on that there just because i heard i i, I loved i love the way she put together the question and i heard in the question my own sort of these two moments in my own story mm-hmm. um anything else for you guys that you want to add to uh, to bonnie's answer here no you nailed it all you do, all, all it takes is a little Bill Murray. That's right. By the way, I listened to a great interview. He did uh, Howard Stern. Actually, it wasn't that great. It was great if you're like really like into the lore of Bill Murray, which I kind of am. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would love to learn more about that guy. So if anybody out there knows more about like the real meat and potatoes of Bill Murray or heard an interview or something, but his Howard Stern, Howard Stern was mostly about like uh, uh, just like rumors of fights that he had on set, <laughs> which was actually kind of cool. All right, guys. Uh, in the end, in a little bit, we're, I'm going to have a special announcement. I'm going to have a special announcement right away, but uh, but uh, that'll come in the outro. Cue the music. I have been Chase Wardman Reeves. I've been Corbett Barr. I've been Barrett Brooks. And I'll see you in another time. So there you have it. Thank you, Bonnie, for your question. We love hearing from you. And you too, listener. Uh, you can ask your question and we'll get your answer on the air. Just head to fizzleshow.co slash ask or shoot us an email at guys at fizzle.co. And speaking of fizzleshow.co slash ask, we're doing something awesome for our 100th episodes. And I want you and your voice involved. So here's what you can do. Take 15 seconds of your time. Go to fizzleshow.co slash ask and one, tell us your name. Two, tell us your URL if applicable. And either three, simply say something like hi or thanks or congratulations or whatever you want. Or four, tell us your favorite moment of the show or inside joke or something that happened to you while you were listening to the show or something that this show has inspired you to do or what the show means to you. Keep it short and sweet. But what I want to do is include your voice in a special project we're doing for our 100th episodes. Yes, I said our 100th episodes. We're building you something awesome. Be a part of it. Come on. I want your voice in this. I would love to hear uh, your story. Spend a few seconds of love at fizzleshow.co slash ask. I list out how exactly to do that on the show notes uh, of this page as well, how to add your voice to the 100th episodes. Go to fizzleshow.co slash 97. You will also find that amazing Axagon video that I talk about uh, where Pete Holmes goes, <laughs> Hi, I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I my accent is completely gone. <laughs> it's really good. That's all at fizzleshow.co slash 97. 
Okay, folks, come on. Let's build something we're proud of. What are you building? Who's it for? Let's make them smile. Find care, take care, serve hard, and dig in. Thanks. Then I'll talk to you next Fizzle Friday.